All right. Well, welcome to uh, sitting down with me. You know, honestly, the conversations that I have on this podcast, each one is unique. There are literally no two that are the same. And every time I get a chance to connect with a guest in particular that I found through social media is always a unique experience because sometimes we have social media people that we follow and we're like, are they a real person? Are they personable? Are they nice? Are they even real? You know, and you are a person that I found on TikTok, I would say almost three months ago and your content just stood out to me so much. I literally said to myself, I'm going to reach out and just see if he says yes. And I'm so grateful that you did. So I'm going to give you the mic and give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to my listeners by sharing your name where you're from and what you stand for. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Lloyd. I'm the podcast hype man. I'm from Zimbabwe, but I live in Atlanta and I stand for connectivity and oneness and getting to rely on one another. I believe that, you know, our relationships amongst each other are really important. Agreed. I feel the same way. Connectivity in particular, I think is something that came up for me a lot, especially in these last couple of years that we've been, you know, in this pandemic and being separated from family and friends and kind of finding new ways to build community. Now, I cannot overlook the fact that you did say that you're from Zimbabwe. Now, that's not where you're live streaming in from today, right? That is correct. I'm from in Atlanta, but originally born in Zimbabwe. Wow. How long have you been in Atlanta? Since 2006. So I came to the United States in seventh grade. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what was your experience like seventh grade? That's like middle school slash junior high, like 13 is 12, 11, 12 years old. What was your experience like going from living in Zimbabwe to coming to Atlanta? You know, it was a strange experience. Um, The first thing is like, you know, when we were in Zimbabwe, that was literally all we talked about. My mom at the time worked at the American embassy in Zimbabwe. And we would literally just dream about like, one day we're going to be in America. One day we're going to be in America. And it almost just became like a catchphrase that we would just say that almost kind of lost meaning because we said it so much since I was like a kid. And then one day she finally just says, today's the day. Like we're going to America. So we get on the plane, we get here. And, you know, I think I got here old enough that I couldn't really identify as like an American, like all of like the the movies and things people were talking about in my class, I didn't know or understand. But I also left early enough that I didn't necessarily appreciate my culture either. And so I sort of felt like I didn't really fit in anywhere. Um, but, you know, America has been the most amazing place I can dream of. And it's just created so many opportunities that just wouldn't exist for my family. And so, you know, it's certainly not perfect in any way, but I'm so glad I get to call this place home. I like that. It's interesting because I had well, somewhat of a similar experience. I'm originally from Southern California and, you know, born and raised in the Los Angeles area. And when I was going into the seventh grade, we also left not America, but we left Southern California and went to a teeny tiny small remote town called Apple Valley, which is literally in the middle of the Mojave Desert. And as we were driving there, it was kind of a surprise. We didn't necessarily have like the anticipation of going like you described. It was more like coming home from summer camp one day and there was a huge Penske truck parked outside of our house. And I said, who's moving? And my family said, we are. And so we drove for what felt like hours. It was probably about 90 minutes away from Los Angeles. And once we got to a certain area where I no longer saw 
big billboards or tall buildings, I genuinely thought, okay, so are we like going into a witness protection program or like what's <laughs> happening here guys? And I started a brand new life, you know, and wow. it was a very interesting experience. Like you said, there were cultural differences. I went from being in a predominantly black school and neighborhood to being in a predominantly white school and neighborhood. And it was a, a very interesting social experience for me. Yeah. I think overall though, it definitely gave me just a clearer perspective on what it's like to dive into unexpected spaces and still find connection and find right so yeah i i can i can somewhat relate to that so you live in atlanta with your wife ashley shout out to ashley how yep. long have you two been together we uh on august 15th we celebrate our seven year anniversary i'm so excited i can't i almost can't believe that it's here and that it's happening uh and that so it's obviously this weekend and we met uh, about nine years ago um at my friend's house when her mom was getting a photo shoot for her clothing line and we just hit it off i love that almost almost seven years that's amazing seven years is a great year it's like a year of uh, completion and you know arrival and foundation so congratulations early congratulations to you Thank and your you. wife so i'm going to share a little bit about how i was drawn to your top your topics and your content on tiktok so last year i have a son who's 20 almost 21 years old and he said mom you know, Instagram is going away. You got to get on TikTok. And I was like, sir, I don't know TikTok. I don't want to do this and the dances. And that's not really my thing. And so he said, no, you just got to try it. Cause it's like creating your own broadcast network with things that you're really passionate about and things that are important to you. So when I first started looking at your content on TikTok, I was just so impressed with how much information you're giving away or like free game so to speak, that you're sharing with people who are interested in podcasting, because what I've noticed is, you know, over the years in certain fields that there's kind of like this gatekeeping culture when it comes to information that is otherwise accessible to pretty much everyone. So can you talk to me a little bit about what drew you to TikTok in particular as a platform and, and why the content that you choose? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think I was in a very similar boat as you like I was getting on TikTok for the first time, maybe about five months ago. And I had never really embraced any specific platform. I was kind of just like starting from scratch. Um, and so I wanted something that I felt like was would be a little easier to build authentic connection. And that was really like, the only thing I dreamt of, like if I could just have actual people say like, you helped me like you said this thing, and it helped me that would be that like that would make me feel so good. And so I thought about it. And I thought that TikTok would be the platform that could best get me to that position. And that thesis has proven to be true. When I started my TikTok, I started an Instagram at the same exact time posting the same exact content. This is like a net new Instagram account. My Instagram has got to like 500 followers and my TikTok has got to 11,000. And so even just like, you know, I post the same content across like all platforms from Pinterest to YouTube to Instagram. And even when you look at the comments on on each of the platforms, they're so different. People are just so much nicer and kinder on TikTok. It's like the first thing uh, versus maybe like Instagram where, the, where they don't necessarily care about you per se, but you know they might nitpick something that you said or how you do something. And so TikTok has been a great platform. It's embraced me and I felt like I can help people. And I just, I love that so much. Mm, I would have to agree with you wholeheartedly. I remember, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I remember when social media was MySpace 
way back when. And I remember having so much like user control over design and creativity. And then next thing we knew, in came Facebook and it was a completely different experience. And the next thing it was Instagram and then Snapchat and then TikTok and all these things and YouTube, of course. And I recognize very similar experience to what you just described where the audience that I have on YouTube is, is a completely different audience. Every Saturday morning, my father and I do a live stream on YouTube called Meditate on the Word, where we do a meditation and we do what I call like a conversational study of scripture and so on. And he's really mm -hmm. passionate about it. And it started off as something we did on Instagram, but we discovered wow. it. I graded it over to YouTube. We tapped into a completely different audience. The reception was completely different. So just like you described having content that lives on TikTok or having content that lives on Instagram, even if the content is identical, the audience right. receives it and digests it differently. And I agree, the TikTok audience, I mean, I've had folks come for me in comments over certain com <laughs> over certain things that I've posted. And the TikTok audience is like, we got you, girl. Don't right. you worry about these people. Don't you worry about these haters in these comments. We got you covered. And it's the reception has been so positive. And so I, I agree, it's a very different environment. So for someone like yourself, do you consider yourself a, a content creator or an influencer? And what do you think are the differences between the two? Yeah, that's such a great question. I certainly consider myself a content creator and I pride myself on being able to be a partner with some of the brands that I work with. Like generally speaking, anytime I partner with a brand, I'm the person emailing them and saying, I have this amazing idea. Or, you know, there's times where like, I've just asked brands like, hey, I don't want anything from you. I just want a monthly call where I can like pitch you ideas. And if, if they don't work great, like totally fine. And so I'll get on a call and I'll just have a list of maybe three to four ideas and I'll just run through them. Just like crazy ideas, more conservative ideas. And so I like, to me, that feels very much like a content creator and less like an influencer. And when I think about influencers, I think about people that maybe brands are reaching out to with the sole purpose of like tapping into their audience versus when I think of content creators, like there's brands that literally pay me just to create TikToks for them to post on their channels that still haven't seen the light of day. And so it's just, you know, I view myself as a partner and I think in the future, there will be more content creators than influencers, just personal opinion, not based on data. And I think that the way in which we create will be so much more decentralized. Um, I work at a company now that's trying to figure out like, how do we create content on platforms like TikTok? No one's in the office, no one has a phone. So like, what does that really look like? And that's where I could see like content creators becoming more pertinent. I can, I can see that too. I think the, the concept of like UGC or user generated content was something that, I mean, even a decade ago, I don't know that brands really recognize the value of that and, and how using huge, you know, traditionally using huge advertising firms with huge marketing budgets to create commercial campaigns or online campaigns or even billboards or things that show up in sports arenas and, and so on, recognizing that being able to reach an audience, especially a particular audience, being able to reach them in the palm of their hand, essentially through smartphones, through these social media apps, they recognize like, wait a minute, there's a blind spot here. How do we tap into that? And so I agree. I think that content creation is something that will continue to expand depending on the individual creator. And I like what you said that sometimes it's about building relationships with a brand that doesn't necessarily result in immediate compensation but building that relationship over time, if you have a pitch opportunity once a month, over time, they're going to think, oh yeah, that guy Lloyd that we talked to once a month, he had some really great ideas. Maybe now we can go ahead and cut him a check. And <laughs> maybe 100%. now we can go ahead and buy some stuff you know, from him. So 
tell me a little bit about what your experience has been kind of reaching out to brands blind and, and what your, your reception has been with some of them. It's been fantastic. So I, I, I think that there's like been lots of preconceived notions that I had to get rid of. The first is just that like, I know we need to be like cold emailing or reaching out to brands and like, you know, shoot not shot, right? Um, what I now know is that 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 doesn't necessarily mean like email or LinkedIn, right? Like the strategy that always works for me is like, I'll tag a brand several times just in the comments, just like multiple times. Mm -hmm. And then they'll see that comment. And then I'll DM them and say like, hey, let's create some content. 99% of the time they respond and they say, Hey, let's talk, let's get on a call and like learn more. Um, and that to me has worked a lot better than when I email people and I haven't got that much like attention back. And so that's the first thing. The second thing I've had to like do in just in, ter in terms of changing my expectations has been before I was sort of like dependent. I, I felt like I was considering the potential revenue from these brands as like actual revenue I was going to live on. And that put me in a position where I felt like I needed to be closing people every single month. And so when people reached out to me and they made big commitments and they said, Hey, we have a huge campaign. This is going to cost you. I'm estimating maybe $8,000 for this collaboration. I really was dependent on that money. And when things fell through the cracks, I took it personally. And now what I now realize is that, okay, I'm not going to depend on this money anymore. And I'm not going to work on brands unless I really feel like you're serious. And, you know, there's, I feel like in a lot of ways, I overextended myself by doing all of my initial calls. I would like screen the brands. I would like qualify them, make sure like we're a right fit. They have money, they're serious, they're ready to start. And so now I've put a lot more like pretext in place that instantly can notify me if I feel like I'm seeing red flags or this isn't like, this isn't up my alley. I'm not going to do this. Um, and because I don't necessarily need the money, I have the room to do that. And I, I just enjoy creating content a lot more. Mm. So for anybody who's listening or watching this, uh, you literally just gave us like two pieces of a masterclass for reaching out to brands and building relationships, because that's something that a lot of people don't recognize is that one, if you're going to build a relationship or a partnership or a collaborative, you know, agreement with a brand, it needs to be something that you genuinely believe in and feel connected to, because it's one thing for me to sell, you know, water bottles, but if I don't really drink water, then I'm not really connected to this. And then I'm just an actor and I'm not really being paid to act. So why am I creating that kind of content? You know, right. or like you said, recognizing the difference between wanting to build a sustainable relationship with a larger brand as a content creator, not just for the bottom line, not just for the revenue, it changes the energy around it. You know, like yes. folks can smell desperation from a mile away and they can feel yes. that attachment to the revenue. And it kind of affects the way that you come off and the way that you present. So like I mentioned, you just gave us some really great tips. So for folks who are curious about how to create content and how to build relationships with brands, I noticed when I was poking around through your link that you have some instructional you know, guides or, or coursework or what you can provide for podcasters. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you as a content creator and as what I consider to be a pro podcaster are creating access and education for folks who want to get into podcasting? Oh, that's such a great question. You know, part of what I realize is the world of podcasting is still so new. That's like the first thing. So like nobody knows what's happening. Everyone's kind of siloed and there's all these different groups. There's like the pro podcasters who have been podcasting since 2004. They're like the OGs. They feel like, look, we got this unlocked. This is how you do it. This is the framework. Then there's the new people that are coming in that don't know any of that. They're just like, hey, we're doing it our own way. We figured out our own style. Maybe they're on YouTube, which uh, historic podcasters don't 
necessarily recognized because those aren't like RSS streams. And then there's just like new group of people that don't even know that this information is out there. And that's sort of like the group of people that I'm tapping into. And so that's why I think it, to me, it's like a lot of the information I'm sharing, if maybe you're talking to a podcast community, they're all like, yeah, we already know that. That's like common knowledge. It's from the, the latest stats. It's from the reports. We get it. And I think that there's a barrier between the companies that create that information that do these studies that say, hey, we're realizing that in the age groups 45 plus, there's a huge gap for content. We're missing this content age group. And we realize that people are looking for this content from this specific age group. Mm -hmm. That information is not being translated down to the group of people that I serve. And so it's my job to essentially take that information, knowledge, break it down in a way that's easily understandable and disperse it with people. And so I find that, you know, I'm enjoying creating content. I'm enjoying creating the guides, the blogs, the videos, just because I feel like it, to me, it really does feel like I'm closing the gap from a disparity standpoint, because without some of this content, some of the people that aren't in all of the podcast newsletters or aren't at the conferences, they're not going to get this information. And so this is one way for sure to guarantee that um, most of my audience is um, Black, minorities, people of color. And so I love that I can get this information to them. I don't charge for anything that I do. And I love that. I love just feeling like it's free. If you want it, great. In fact, there's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a project called uh, Project One, and the idea with this project is 50 people, wherever, they're going to get a microphone, headphones, a stand, I'm going to buy them dinner for four weeks, and the idea is you're just going to start a podcast, and I'll pay for everything, and you literally just have to start your podcast, and so I want to feel like I'm removing all possible barriers for you to start your podcast, and hopefully five years from now or 10 years from now, when the podcast industry looks like the music industry, there is no disparity gap. Mm, I really love that. When I think about creativity and, and creatives in general, oftentimes creatives are, are folks who maybe at early ages or maybe at a final you know, stage, middle of, middle of their lives, adolescence or whatever period that your creative kind of juices start really flowing and you recognize this is a career. This is something I can really build from. This is a direction I want to go in. What oftentimes happens is that there's not resources available. There isn't education available. There's no access available. And it can be so discouraging for a creative to feel like, I really just want to get my message out there. I really just want my voice to be heard. And I genuinely don't know where to begin because, you know, I consider myself to be somewhat tech savvy. I know you're super tech savvy as well. And like you said, if a person who has a desire to create a platform like a podcast and they have no idea where to begin, to be able to jump on TikTok, watch your really like endearing, genuine educational videos, see your amazing smile, and then tap into your other resources, that can be such an encouraging experience for them and really fuel that fire that already exists. And so that's something that is really attractive about the work that you're doing. And then for you to take it a step further and say, I'm going to find 50 people and essentially change their life by putting them in a position where they now have the equipment, they have the access, they have the guidance, they have the resources, and now they have a huge community to support them is beautiful. Like that's the stuff that changes the world. You know what I mean? When I think about 
you know, there's the, the, what is it like the big Sean song, like one man can change the world, you know, and you think about the way that you show up and the way that you uniquely show up and the way that you build connection and community is something that I think is so powerful. So I'm just like, that just gave me good, warm and fuzzy feelings inside. So folks, again, if you're listening and you're interested in starting a podcast and you're not already following Lloyd, please be sure to connect with him because that's something I have not experienced so far is someone being that committed to making sure that people have access to be able to create in this particular way. Because I know myself, when I started this podcast, it was in the summer of 2018. I was going through a transitional period in my life and I was having a conversation with a friend who lives in Dallas, Texas. I always give her a shout out. And she said, you know what, sis, you should start a podcast. And I said, friend, I don't have a living room right now. Like I don't even have doors. I'm literally transitioning out of my home that I had been in for years, moving into new spaces. And she said, well, there's an app start there. And that's where I started. I had a pair of, you know, Apple earbuds and my cell phone and just said, okay, I guess we're doing this, you know? So can you talk to me a little bit about how you got started in podcasting and maybe what your journey has been like from, from the start up until where you are now? That's such a great question. And I think a lot of people share that experience. You know, I decided um, I've been a consumer of podcasts and since 2004, I was at a dentist job and I found a podcast that had like thousands of hours. They released like four hours a day, Monday through Friday. So when I found them, they had like thousands of hours ready. So I was like, man, this job really sucks. I'd literally go in the bathroom and cry during my lunch breaks. That's how bad my, my, bad my boss was. And so I was like, you know what? Like I could listen to a podcast from 9 a.m. to 4 and that'll make this time fly by. Great. And so that's where my appreciation for podcasting started. There's very few mediums that will allow you to like listen to something that you're not watching, but you're getting entertained, but you're also learning and is 100% free. That's just like a rare medium. And so in 2017, I decided, you know what, like maybe I should start my own podcast. Like I, I have ideas I want to share with the world. I was so scared that it literally took me two years to actually start that podcast. It took me two years just saying like, I'm going to start a podcast. Let me research. Let me learn. Let me see. And I was obviously just procrastinating because I was afraid. But in 2019, that podcast became a reality and was called Foreign Made. And um, ironically enough, I had a friend that was a producer at NPR and she said she would help me. And I was just so blown away by just like how high quality episodes we were able to create using just like headphones and a cell phone. Um, And so for my entire first two seasons, I used um, an iPhone and Apple headphones and I was able to monetize that episode. Um, I I made a video a few days ago saying I made $5,000 from that episode and I used headphones to record. And so I now realize that when it comes to podcasting and you're starting out, the biggest thing is just starting. You can always improve your quality, but you won't be able to do that if you don't start. Yeah, it's taking the first step, you know, stepping out on faith or taking the leap. Because when I think of people who have high quality podcasts, like you said, like I've been consuming podcasts since way, way back. And I started off just listening to what was ever on Apple Podcasts. I put in my couple little areas of interest and would just kind of listen to whatever came up. And of course, I'd listen to like the heavy hitters like the Oprah Winfrey Super Soul Sunday and Brene Brown and, you know, all these tech and movie podcasts. And then over time, I started seeing podcasters become more unique the subject matter become more specific and then all of a sudden it seems like there was a boom where everybody had a podcast and of course there's lots of celebrities and politicians and authors and so on but I find that I'm most drawn to the underdogs you know the Mm -hmm. folks who are starting out 
with an iPhone and a pair of earbuds or, or folks who genuinely have a message that I feel like I can connect to. And like you said, being able to listen and learn and be inspired or empowered or motivated for free from somebody who's taken the time and put in the energy and the effort to build an episode and share it with you without asking for anything in return, I think is a really cool exchange of information and energy. And so that's one reason why I've been drawn to podcasting so much. And then as I started to notice the medium shifting to not just audio, now there's video components as well. And then of course, you know, I know I saw on Twitter recently that the Breakfast Club, I guess, is retiring. So that's a pretty, I don't know if that's considered a podcast or a radio right. show, but whatever it is, I think they're gonna they're be closing it down pretty soon. So can you tell me a little bit about what types of podcasts are you most drawn to and, and why you appreciate those? Oh, that's such a great question. You know, I think the space of podcasting is so different and it changes every day. And so I think for just education purposes, I find myself just like looking for people that are doing things differently and like exploring new ways to do things. And so I think that is very interesting to me. Um, there's a narrative podcast called Exit Scam that was done, in my opinion, fairly low budget, just like an independent journalist. Mm -hmm. And it did so well that Netflix is going to turn it into a, a, a show pretty soon. Um, and so that to me is just like, that's impressive. That's amazing. Like it's literally just two people. Um, and so I, I love narrative podcasts where people are exploring just like creative ways to tell stories. Um, I also love just like innovative interviews um, or like engaging conversations. There's a podcast called uh, Smartless with Jason Bateman. It's so funny, so good, just so innovative. Yeah, it's hilarious to see like celebrities that um, popular just be themselves that frequently. It's mm -hmm. it's impressive. I agree. I agree. I like um, Mayim Fialk, formerly known as Blossom. Uh, she has a podcast and it's a trip because she's like a neuroscientist and she has all these like highly intellectual ideas, but she's also low-key a comedian and also yeah. a child actor. So, you know, like you said, when you get to hear celebrities kind of like let their hair down a little bit, then I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's fun and entertaining. I also think that when celebrities have podcasts or you get big podcasters like Joe Rogan's, you know, of the world that I think the listeners and the community often put a very high level of responsibility for the podcasters to take positions politically or socially or otherwise. So as a podcaster, um, have you had any experiences so far where you feel like you were expected to take a position or make a public statement about anything happening politically or socially that you would like to share? You know, uh, I haven't actually, I find myself being on the opposite end of the coin. And because I'm interviewing people, I find myself trying to figure out like, what is your stance on this particular thing? And how can I help you convey that? Um, and so because of that, I think I'm in a unique position, partially because I, I, I am part, and that's where I think like the line between like journalists and podcaster to me is very thin. And I as like, progressive as like podcasting has become, I still don't think that it necessarily replaces like the role of like true journalism, even in podcasting. Um, but even just as a podcaster and not as a journalist, I still feel like we have responsibility to try and search for the truth and push on our guests to tell us where they stand, what they believe and help them share their truth, but also in a way that keeps them comfortable and doesn't, you know, make them feel like they're blindsided or, you know, whatever else you might see out there. And so I think 
podcasting is still so new that we're figuring out how to do it, but I love the responsibility that we have as podcasters with guests on our show and having a platform and having an audience. Um, I really love that. When I was leading my podcast for Made, obviously we were um, centered around telling immigrant-based stories. Um, and this was right after like the Trump era. And so there were a lot of my audience that just kind of felt at unease. Um, and so having all of these guests that these people looked up to uh, they certainly wanted to know, how are you handling things? How are you staying sane? How are you handling anxiety? Um, and so I felt great being the bridge between those two people and that information. Yeah, I can I can agree. I think that as a, as a woman, as a queer person, as a person of color, as a Black person, as an American, there's so many different things that, you know, easily feel like they could make their way into like social commentary as part of a natural conversation. And I think I too do my best to create a space for my guests to be able to just share a little bit more about their, who they are, which I think creates a sense of humanity about a content creator or a, a teacher or a guide or facilitator. I had the pleasure of sitting down with um, the developer of a social audio app that came out earlier this year and just being able to hear her story of what it's like to be a Black woman in tech. You know, mm -hmm. technology is still an expanding field and it's still relatively, uh, I would say, unbalanced when we think yes. about the presence of people of color, particularly Black people in that in that field. So I noticed that one of your areas of interest is technology. Can you tell me a little bit about what your experience has been like working in tech or being in that community as a Black man and, and anything that's unique about that experience? Yes, that's such a great question. You know, I, I love technology. That's certainly like my first love. And um, when I came to the United States, I was uh, technically um, an undocumented or an illegal immigrant. And so that limited the types of jobs I could get. Um, I also wasn't able to go to college, but I was able to start my career because of tech. Like the, I worked for a small startup and they gave me like a chance working there. And that was like all I needed to like get my start going. And so I developed a love for technology. I've been able to just help people solve problems problems. Um, I worked on a project a few years ago here in Atlanta called the Dignity Museum. And essentially it's a crate, like a container. Um, and we turned the inside into the first ever museum for homelessness. And you basically walk into it and it's this digital experience where we're telling all the stories of all of these people that uh, are homeless or were homeless at some point. And just the types of things that happened in that container I mean, the first week we launched it, we sold out for like the first four weeks. It was just like amazing. There were people that were literally in there and they were like, oh my gosh, like that's my cousin. We've been looking for him. Like we didn't know where he was. That's amazing. And so people were able to connect with their loved ones. Um, we were able to see people that are now in Atlanta, millionaires that were at one point homelessness, homeless. And we didn't know, like, it's not like this story was popular. And so I just think technology plays such a critical role in helping us push, um, the culture forward and solving critical problems. That said, I do think there's a lot of areas where technology falls short and where I'd like to see things change to your point there. It's not nearly as diverse as we need it to be. And because of that, there's lots of, you know, discrimination that still occurs, whether it's AI based, whether it's just lack of funding, whether it's lack of opportunity, all of those things I hate. Um, and obviously I think in the future, as we see more countries in Africa, more founders of color get opportunities that will sort of like shift the scale a little bit, but I still feel like we have a, a long way to go. Just for some additional context set to our conversation today, if you look at the podcast space, I literally only know one person that has a hosting company, a podcast hosting company that is Black. Even though there's like millions of Black podcasters, it's just, it's not nearly representative of the number of people that are Black that podcast. 
Wow. So we have some work to do. Well, good to know. We have some, right, we have right. some progress to make. Good to know. <laughs> no, I, I think that sometimes pioneering something is necessary. I think that, you know, we have to start somewhere. I agree. And I, and I think what's, what's encouraging to know is that there are more folks who are going into tech. Like when I think of little, you know, little kids, boys and girls that are in school that are getting interested in things like STEM and engineering and technological development and entertainment technology and how those pieces all fit together, that I think that in time, you know, hopefully in our lifetime, we will see a shift happen so that we do see more of a presence of, of Black creators and Black engineers and, and Black folks in tech. So I know that you mentioned earlier when we think about podcasting community and connecting with other podcasters that there's some really cool events for podcasting that take place specifically here in the U.S. And I believe that you attended one of those events relatively recently. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like and maybe some of your biggest takeaways from that? Absolutely. So a few weeks ago, I went to a conference called the Black Pod Fest, and this is a conference for Black podcasters. Now, when I walked in, I knew it was going to be amazing, but I had no idea what was going to happen. When I walked in, I was in a room at one point and there were maybe like, maybe 400 just like black podcasters. And some of these were like people that had their own technology companies. Some of people that were just, you know, maybe there were influencers in the podcast space, but I had never been around that many black podcasters in my entire life. And it was just amazing. It was just this, we just looked at each other and there was just like this energy of like, I'm supporting you. I'm happy for you. I, I want you to thrive here. If I have information, I'm giving it to you and vice versa. Um, and it was just like incredible. There were also just lots of people that I'd met from TikTok that happened to be there. So it was great to like meet people in person. And so I think that more people, especially podcasters, should attend events. It's a great way to learn just what other people are doing. There was just like, there was a, one room I was in where a specific creator was saying how she got to 30,000 downloads. And she was like, well, I've been doing this. And another podcaster that was doing really well said like, oh yeah, me too. I'm doing that exact same thing. And so for everyone else that wasn't at their stage, we all were able to say like, okay, this is like, this is what people are doing. That's great. Let's try it. Um, and so I think there are some of those experiences that I would love more people to experience. Um, there's a big podcast conference coming up in August in Dallas called Podcast Movement. It's the largest podcast conference in the world. I was talking to some of my friends in the UK and they were all just jealous that we have the conference here and they don't. So if you're in the States or in Dallas, certainly consider going. Yeah, I agree. And they actually have some there's so many different tiers for attendance so depending on you know where you are financially or otherwise definitely encourage people to go i mean i remember going to a podcast experience this was back in like 2015 and it was actually here in la and it was relatively i would say it was probably about three or four hundred people um but that was an opportunity that i had to be able to connect with folks like you mentioned who are in the same lane as I was in at the time as a creative, and then also recognizing that there were so many resources and so much information available that, not to say that you couldn't Google it and find it elsewhere, but it's really different when you can kind of sit down and talk to the person who's actually implementing that stuff in real time. And I think that podcasting can sometimes be, you know, somewhat isolated. It's you, your mic, your studio, and maybe your guest. So sometimes you don't think about going outside of your little box to be able to connect. But I agree. I think that folks that are in the podcasting world are so far my experience has been folks that are in this world are actually very open to sharing resources to sharing ideas best practices and so on so that 
more people can actually get their voices out there, get their messages heard and connect with audiences that, that they really wanna connect with. So I'm, I'm glad to know that you had a great experience and I believe I'll be seeing you uh, in Dallas. So we'll be sure. Yes, that so, is amazing. Yeah, I'm super excited, super excited. So we're gonna switch gears a little bit here, Lloyd. So at this part of the podcast, I like to dive a little bit deeper to learn more about you, the person, the human being, what makes you special and unique. And every podcast guest that comes on my show gracefully fills out this questionnaire that I send to everyone. And the questions are always really interesting to hear what people's responses are. So one of the first questions that I ask is, you know, when I think about what makes a person unique, a lot of it has to do with the stories that we have to tell about our life experiences and so on. And one question that I ask is, what is something about you that most people don't know? And your response I thought was really interesting. So if you don't remember what you said, I can remind you, but the question that I asked was, what is something about you that most people don't know? And Lloyd said, I'm afraid of large bodies of water, but I love hanging out at the beach. And I said, <laughs> how? Houseway? Tell me a little more about that. Yeah, that's, you know, I, uh, there's a lot of nuance and complexity here. Okay. Especially, and I should say that, you know, I love going to the beach. That's like, I love being at the beach, sitting at the beach, but my wife is always trying to get me to do like excursions. And that's like where I draw the line. That's like, no, no, I'll, I'll like stay right here. And I'll like watch you guys do it. Um, recently we went to the Bahamas and it was like time to feed the pigs. And I was like, man, I'm having a great time out here, but this is my cube to go like sit inside while you guys do your thing. And then I'll come back out. Uh, and so I've never, you know, embraced large bodies of water, but hopefully in the future, maybe in the future, I will. <laughs> I can see that. You know, my my dad is very similar. Um, he's a guy from Southern California, grew up with some of the best beaches in the country. And he's like, beaches are to be looked at. The ocean is to be looked at and appreciated. Um, aside from maybe like ankle deep and like a nice right. wave, that's about as far as we're going. So exactly. I he totally gets it. Get it. I totally get it. So. Another question that I like to ask is if you could reside anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? You know, I would love to live somewhere on an island, um, you know, maybe the Bahamas, maybe the Turks, somewhere with water. And every time I'm there, I'm just reminded like, yeah. My life is going a lot, is way fast, is faster than this. That's not great. Um, for me, it's not great at least. And so I, the idea of just like being able to be somewhere where you slow down just enough to embrace the things that are important to you and don't necessarily move at, at the speed of everyone else just because everyone else is going fast does sound kind of amazing. And every time I'm, you know, elsewhere, I'm constantly reminded of like, what is most important? Why do you have so much on your plate? And while I don't love having so much on my plate, whenever I'm back home, I just find myself moving at like a million miles per hour. Um, and so being else like specifically on islands reminds me of being back home and just like how slow and how people are, how kind they are, how they take time to really see you, take time to engage and talk to you. Um, and so at some point it is my wife and I's goal to move somewhere else out of the country. But um, for now, we're still working towards that. I like that. I like that. One of my first times being uh, in an island was in the Caribbean. And I remember as soon as we landed in St. Martin, that we got off the, you know, got off the boat and a gentleman said, I said, what time is it? And he said, it's island time. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean exactly? Right. Is that 
four after four or what time? <laughs> what do you mean island time, sir? I need to know what time I got to get back on this boat so I don't miss the next port. Right. But you're absolutely right. It's like being in other spaces, specifically in the islands, it is a reminder that there's a rhythm, you know, to this life. And sometimes our rhythm is increased and the syncopation is higher. And then sometimes we get to slow it down. And we often are reminded of that when we step outside of our day to day because our pace is so rapid here. And I think it's also, you know, if you're an ambitious person, you have lots of things that you want to accomplish and things you want to do and see that sometimes the increased pace feels normal until you experience a decreased pace and you say, wow, okay, so this works too. So I I hear that. That's so spot on. You know, I was um I, I was having a call with my uncle who lives in Switzerland and our call was on Sunday. And right before we got on the call, I like sent a few emails. And so I was just saying, like, oh, just wrapped up a few emails. I'm I'm ready to chat now. And he could not fathom why I was sending emails on like a Sunday. And he just I was just like, no, 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 it's not like I'm not working. I'm just like sending a few like loose, you know, just like a few last minute things. And he just could not wrap his head around it. He was like, it's the weekend, but why like why is your computer open? Yeah. And it just was a reminder that, you know, it's like we we move so fast here that sometimes we feel like that's the norm. We do. We do. And having those reminders is nice, especially when it's from a family member or somebody that knows you that says it's okay to, it's okay to close your computer at least one day a week. It's okay right, to turn exactly. the screens off every once in a while. Right. So another question I want to ask you is that I ask every guest and the answers are always very unique. So I want you to imagine if you woke up tomorrow morning with an extra $100 million in your bank account, what is the first thing that you would do? Uh, the first thing I would do is buy a bunch of like travel tickets. That was like the, that would like, I, first of all, I'd have to figure out like, how do I make my wife happy with this money? And it's always going to be travel. And so I'd travel at the most luxury way possible, if that was even possible, um, and just go and see the world and experience new things. And I think out of that is where we can really find a lot of solutions when we really learn like how do other people live and what are well, like what's a different outlook I can have on the world and why is like this problem so hard like why do we do things this way um, and I just think like for most people we don't have the opportunity to slow down enough or the opportunity to go out and travel and visit and learn how other people do things and so as a hundred millionaire I'd have unlimited time to go and do that. And so I'd probably spend quite a bit of time traveling um, and more importantly, traveling with my extended family as well. Oh yeah, I can appreciate that. I also like how you said, what can I do to make my wife happy? Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> I used to be at the top of the list <laughs> for sure. So I don't know about Atlanta, but Southern California, we don't really get many rainy days. So on a rainy day, what do you really enjoy doing the most when you get to slow down? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I part of what like part of my challenge over the last um, two years has been trying to like get hobbies. Like I don't have hobbies, and like I don't think I've ever had hobbies. And so like this idea of like slowing down and like saying like, hey, it's a rainy day. Like, what can I do today? Or like, you know, can I like slow down? That idea is kind of hard for me, and I find myself kind of getting like sad on days like that when mm-hmm. I just feel like I can't be productive or I can't, you know, um, do like my work. I feel like behind, so to speak. And I know that's not like what's actually happening, but I find myself getting like really sad um, and not productive. And so hopefully next year when we talk, I'll actually have hobbies and things that I do to like slow down. And especially on rainy days, I look at um, some of my friends that just are, um, that do sort of like move at a slower pace and Mm -hmm. just like 
on just slow days, they may say like, Hey, I'm watching like Netflix all day, or I'm reading a book or working on a puzzle. And I, there is something about that. That's like, you know, I envy that. Uh, but I also haven't been able to figure out what like my thing is just yet. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll come to you. You know, I, I can relate. I consider myself to be highly creative and highly passionate as well as highly ambitious. And so on days where I'm required to slow down, it's not necessarily rainy days, but sometimes, you know, your body just says chill and you have to, you know, that if I spend like too much time doing the Netflix kind of kickback, I'm like, there's so many things I could be doing right now. So I have to like, you know, learn how to turn my mind off, let myself know it's okay to take a pause every once in a while. So there's something I like to do at the end of each podcast, which is go through a little game that I call complete the sentence. So I'm going to give you three sentence prompts. You can complete them however you'd like, take up as much or as little space as you'd like. And Mm -hmm. the first one is, I know I'm fed up when. I know I'm fed up when my attention span gets really short because I like to think of myself as a really patient person. But if my attention span is short, I'm definitely fed up. I can relate. How about I know I'm happiest when... I know I'm happiest when I'm well rested, when I feel like I've gotten the chance to just um, take time for myself to feel fully charged up. That's generally when I feel the most charged, the most filled, the most fulfilled, the most energy. And so I know I'm most happiest when I'm well rested. Mm. And the last one is, I know I've made an impact when... I know I've made an impact when people reach out to me and say what I've done or something I've said has helped them. The fact that people would even go out of their way to like send me something or message me or tell me means the world to me. And I I think, I don't think people fully grasp what that really does for me and how that really builds my confidence. And so um, I know I've done something impactful when people reach out to me and let me know. I hear that. Yeah, it's nice to... um you know, receive your flowers, as they say, or that acknowledgement, you know, sometimes it feels like when you're, when you're giving of yourself so freely and generously without any expectation of any return, other than just good in the world, it feels good to, to hear like, okay, this is actually connecting. This is actually making a difference. So I can relate to that. So something that I do in addition to being a podcaster is I'm a meditation coach and I'm also a, you know, a yoga teacher. So I do a lot of mindfulness activities and things like that. So the very last part of my podcast is a little microdose of what I call microdose of meditation. So we're going to do a quick little visualization exercise. Yes. So I want you to think for a moment and if you'd like, you can close your eyes or otherwise, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with. I want you to imagine yourself in a time machine and it looks and feels however you feel a time machine should. And I want you to take a little trip all the way back in time. And when you step out of this time machine, the first person you see is your 16 year old self. What do you say? I say, don't worry, 
about not fitting in or not finding your place in the world, everything is going to come together eventually. Mm, good stuff. So you're going to give that 16 year old self a high five or an embrace, whichever feels best for you. And then we're going to get back into the time machine and we're going to go all the way forward. We don't know exactly how far all the way to the end. What do you want to be remembered for? I, I want to be remembered for doing work that I think truly impacts people and bridges the gap that is tangible, um, visible, um, that to, to me has like, has made a difference um, in not only someone's life, but in the, the greater good for Black people overall. Mm, that's good stuff. So we're going to take a nice deep breath in and a long breath out, and then you can blink open your eyes when you're ready. And the very last thing I have for you, Lloyd, is I've been working with this little Oracle deck. It's a really fun, lighthearted deck of, of Oracle cards. And there's exactly 52 cards in this magical deck. I'd like you to pick a number between one and 52. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick 46. 46. I love when people, I get a lot of like seven, <laughs> nine, you know what I mean? So I love when there's like a high digit number, a big digit number. So the message on number 46, the title is Wrecking Ball for number 46, Wrecking Ball, which sounds like really exciting if it's, if it's what I think it is. So okay. here is your special message. So just so you know, a wrecking ball is not necessarily a sign of destruction. It's more like a blessed invitation for brand new, exciting things to blossom. Mm -hmm. All you need to do is change your perspective let's get this renovation started. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So my friend, this brings us to the end of our conversation and our time together. I do want to leave some space for you to let the listeners know how they can connect with you, where they can find you or any exciting things you have coming up that you'd like to share. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This conversation has been just what I needed today. Um, as mentioned earlier, my name is Lloyd. You can find me on all platforms as Lloyd, not George. If you want to start a podcast, certainly follow me. I've got some exciting things in the works that I'd love to share with you. Um, and again, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you, Lloyd. I appreciate your time. Folks, when I say that the very first time I saw one of your videos, I said, this is a really cool guy. You know, you give so freely, so genu so generously and so genuinely. And what you shared earlier about finding 50 unique people who are interested in creating podcasts and giving them access to be able to get that off the ground is so phenomenal. And I, I hope more people are inspired by the work that you're doing the way that I have been. I will continue to follow you. I will continue to let folks know more about you. And I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. All right, here we go. Peace. Yeah. <laughs>